You're no longer sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Your interests really go and have a greater impact, not just on technology, but really everyday life. This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. Open up your notebooks, let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we are diving into oral reading fluency, and we're going to talk about setting teachers up to deliver reading success with the right ed tech tools. And joining me today is an expert in this topic. His name is Peter Jacobson. He's a product manager at iStation. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on, Peter, because I think this is a huge topic that uh, that we need to discuss, especially in light of what has been a, a really um, different and challenging year, I think, for everyone in the education space. But uh, before we dive into all of that, Peter, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your experience and your role at iStation. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a product manager here at iStation. I work on a variety of products, but one that's been near and dear to my heart over the last couple of years has been ISIP Oral Reading Fluency, which is um, a product that uses voice recognition to automatically measure oral reading fluency in kids' grades K to 5 and English and Spanish. There's a mouthful for you. <laughs> um, but uh, before that, I was actually planning to be a classroom teacher. I got my master's in education in uh, secondary English, was really all set to go into the classroom to become a teacher, but I uh, also was getting married at the time, and so I took a little bit of time off before I finished school, which ended up getting me out of cycle with hiring, so I was looking for something to do over the summer, and I found a summer internship at iStation where I got to work first on a middle school reading pro program and then eventually kind of worked my way in this company into product. And that's really how I arrived here. So I was always planning to be a classroom teacher, but I just got really inspired by kind of this amazing experience of building project products for education. That's fantastic. So what was it, Peter, maybe uh, about iStation and maybe the mission of iStation that stood out to you and maybe caught your eye and, uh, and was something that you, you wanted to do moving forward? Um, well, I actually think the verbatim mission of iStation really resonates with me, you know, supporting educators, empowering students and changing lives. And I think it's really simple and to the point, but I think it's incredibly powerful because supporting educators, um, teachers are balancing so many different things. You know, they are trying to obviously teach their students. Sometimes they're trying to understand what's going on in their lives. They're spinning so many plates. So technology really is an opportunity to provide different tools that can make their lives easier. Um, and then when it comes to, you know, empowering students, it's just, you can have a transformative experience. I think many people look back on their time uh, in school, and hopefully they've had one of those teachers that was just able to connect in that exact right way, where they were able to make a connection, make something that used to be obscure suddenly make sense. And that can really put you on a different path. It might suddenly unlock a curiosity into a whole new thing that could lead to who knows what in your life. And making small differences early on can lead to just enormous gains later in life. So I really do believe in the mission of iStation. And 
Um, I also love that we get to apply creativity to these solutions. You know, we work with artists and programmers and designers really just to make this collaborative um, experience that is designed to, to make the child's life better and the teacher's life easier. I love that. I love the way that that, that mission uh, resonated with you, and uh, and that, that makes so much sense to me. And so uh, I mentioned off the top, Peter, we were going to be talking about oral reading fluency today. So give us a primer on oral reading fluency. What do we need to understand about this, and why is this an important topic for us to discuss today? Sure. Um, many people in the education world are probably familiar, but just to get into it so everyone knows, oral reading fluency is the measure of how quickly and accurately students can read out loud. And uh, I, t I mentioned my background was in secondary English. So when I first came onto this project, I found that that was a really strange thing to be measuring. Why do we care how quick, quickly and easily someone can read out loud? That seems kind of irrelevant. But what the research has shown over the years, this is very closely correlated to things like reading comprehension. And the reason for that is as students obtain automaticity, they're able to just immediately recognize and decode words, it no longer takes up that kind of mental energy, that cognitive load, which frees up working memory to work on other complex tasks such as comprehension. So it kind of makes a certain intuitive sense. And the other aspect of oral reading fluency is it's something that's a little bit easier and quicker to measure than doing something like comprehension. You can just read for a minute and suddenly you have a pretty good idea of where that student is. In fact, uh, one... Um, one expert in the field, Dr. Jan Hasbrook, I really like the way that she put it, is that oral reading fluency is kind of like the educator's thermometer. You know, it may not tell you exactly why they have a fever or not, but it really will give you a good idea of which of your students are academically healthy and which ones may need a little help. And it may give you a sense also of the extent of that. So I, I find it's a really powerful measure just to begin with. So that, that's kind of my best way I could describe it there. So tell me about iStation's solution when it comes to oral reading fluency and, and what sorts of things that you, you've created around this um, to, to help better equip teachers uh, and better identify, help them better identify uh, maybe reading issues and things along those lines. Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, um, when you're measuring uh, oral reading fluency in a traditional sense, it's a pretty quick assessment, but it requires one-on-one -on -one time with every student. You have to be there. You have to read a passage with them. You have to score it. And what really, you know, as the limited time I did have in the classroom, what I really realized is if you're one place, you can't be somewhere else as well. So some people have volunteer teams to do this, or they have to find things for the other students in the class to be doing. And so what we've been able to do is to use recording technology and voice recognition to make it possible for teachers to assess an entire class at once in under 10 minutes. So instead of being in two places at once, which is impossible, you can get everyone on the computer, do it, and then what it'll do is it, these recordings will be sent up where we use um, acoustic models that are specifically trained for young nascent readers who may be struggling, and these acoustic models will automatically score the assessment so that you can come back with just that words correct per minute output. So essentially, we can save you all of the time of administering the assessment without losing that data that is really important for instruction. So when it comes to voice recognition and, and things along those lines, what are some questions that you get uh, about voice recognition? I'm sure that there are um, maybe concerns that parents have or, or that educators also have when it comes to that particular aspect of this solution. What are some of the more common questions you get and how do you answer them? Sure. Well, 
I think speech recognition, this is, this is, I mean, I love the world that we live in, that we can use this kind of technology. It feels so cutting edge. But of course, with new technology does also come questions. So mm-hmm. some of the things that we hear is, does it work with different dialects or accents, particularly like English language learners? And I think these are all very reasonable questions and things that really need to be explained. And we did a lot of due diligence in creating this. So first of all, to ad- address dialect regions, when we validated our mo- models, we actually validated it based on different dialect regions. So we went over there and we didn't just assume that if we trained it on some data that it was going to work everywhere, we actually validated it independently and found that we had a lot of a very, very large sample size in the data, which was there able to prepare the models for a very wide variety of students that it would hear. So that way we found that it was able to work in many dialect regions, but those um, the samples that we also used inc- included many English language learners. And essentially when you're dealing with training acoustic models, what you really need to do is make sure that those models have seen what they're going to encounter. So we had lots of English language learners in that. And so when we ran correlations, which I would say, let me back up and kind of explain that a little bit. Um, The correlations are we took a bunch of the manually scored passages. So this is what the teachers would have done and then compared it to what the algorithms of the auto scoring would be outputting. And the correlation is really the measure of the agreement between those two things. And so we found after doing our due diligence on dialect regions with samples with large amounts of English language learners, that these correlations were really quite impressive. For first, second, and third grade, we had correlations 0.98, 0.98, and 0.97, with the maximum being perfect agreement being a one. And that was really, really encouraging for us because essentially what it was saying is that the auto scoring was producing basically the same results as what the teachers would be scoring. And I would remind people that two teachers don't necessarily agree on the same passage. So even two teachers wouldn't have perfect agreement. They might have an inter-rater reliability of some agreement of something like 0.98 or 0.99. So... I really look to that data to show you how it's performing out there. And I think, again, people should be wondering about these things, but we've really done a lot of due diligence to make sure that the models are performing as we expect. I really like how you explained that. And I think that that's, that's, a, that's a fantastic answer. And I guess my, my, my biggest question about all of this is why is screening for reading difficulty so important for parents, educators, and teachers? And, and really, what's at stake uh, if we don't do a good job of equipping teachers with everything they need to, to help kids and, and, and to understand where exactly each student's at? Sure. Um, there's so much at, at, at stake here. Um, I think the best way that I would explain that is to use kind of a metaphor. And the metaphor I like to use is imagine you are a ship and you're sailing from New York to London and you're going across the ocean. Well, if you're just a couple degrees off course when you set out on that journey and you don't do anything about it, you might end up in Portugal or Africa by the time you get there. I mean, a small amount of kind of being off track adds up over time. And the sooner you're able to course correct along the way, you might be able to make sure that you're a little bit closer to your destination or better still, you end up in London where you're intending to be. So I find that these tools are so important. Teachers time is just the most valuable thing. You know, I have spent enough time in the classroom to understand that you're juggling a million things. And so if you can get good data to help you know how to prioritize your focus, then you're able to get better results and you're be able to really focus on the things that matter, which is going to help you get where you need to be going in the end. So 
Um, that that would be my best my best answer to that is really just if you get the data early on, you're much more likely to be able to course correct and get students on track to where they need to be. And if you wait later, the distance is much greater and you have a lot more ground to catch up. Well, and now that you you have young children of your own, how has that maybe changed how you you view your work at iStation and the work that you're doing? And um, has having kids at all, I, I guess, maybe changed your perspective at all or, or added a, a new perspective to, to everything that you do? Yeah, well, cha- having children is, changes everything. Um, it, it really does. Um, and I do think very much about kind of, you know, you want the best and you want to make sure that your child has every opportunity. And so much of that is really just about making sure that they they get all of the education along the way. I feel I feel very fortunate myself. I feel like I had great teachers and that allowed me to have some great opportunities in life. And I want to create those same opportunities for my son or actually my sons. Now, I just recently had a second. So it's just you know, it, it's it's so important to make sure that they are where they need to be. And you only know based on data. I just I'm a firm believer believer in data. That's really how you measure success. And you're able to kind of make sure that you're covering the things that you need to cover. I would also add that uh, I, I've definitely added a little more patience um, myself <laughs> having having two kids. You know, I'm, I'm at that phase where my uh my eldest is uh, why for everything right now. So, you know, I, I really have to be able to explain things. And I think that also helps me because my original background in education was in secondary. And so I'm now having to reimagine how to explain everything for the mind of, you know, a pre-K kid, you know, where you can't use advanced vocabulary. They don't have the background knowledge and you really just have to make sure things resonate with them. And I do think that helps with design for software. In fact, I'll make a little confession here. We were uh, working on a new assessment recently, and I did he could play around with it to see uh, what kind of mistakes I was making in our design. Because <laughs> uh, no, you can't, you can't learn better than you can from kids, you know. Right, you can always count on a, uh, on on young kids to point out the flaws in something, right? Um... Oh, oh yeah, they'll find it. They'll find your every mistake and. Uh, I also did some of that with middle school students, and they're certainly no sh- not short of opinions, which is great. There's all the things to learn as well. So it's, that's, that is absolutely accurate. That is absolutely accurate. Now, uh, Peter, obviously, the last 16 months or so have been especially trying and interesting and, and I think challenging in a lot of ways mm-hmm. for uh, those in the education space. How has the pandemic really influenced how we view education and literacy growth? Mm. So the pandemic, you know, I'm not the one who's closest, you know, we have a a VP of research who's really been looking at the data, but learning loss is real. I think that nobody can possibly sugarcoat that, you know, you spend all this time out of the classroom, out of in in contact. And it's, it's really something where you're able to measure the distinct um, deficit that some of these students are having to make up. But I also think that's what makes the tools so important. Again, to go back to Dr. Jan Hasbrook, she was talking, you know, some people were asking her questions like, well, should we give easier passages now that the pandemic's happened because everyone might be behind where they are? And her response is also my response is, no, you kind of have to give the same passage and trust that what's going to happen is you use something like oral reading fluency as your measuring stick, as your educator's thermometer, and students will likely perform worse than they would in other years. But that's exactly what you want to know. 
you want to understand what you have to make up. You don't want to be sugarcoating the data. You want to be facing it head on so that you can really attack the problems that you might have to try and make up the ground. So, you know, my heart goes out to educators um, over the last 18 months. It's been it's just been a wild ride. Um, I can't I can't even begin to imagine some of the decisions some of our administrators have had to make, for example, trying to make trade-offs between public health and safety and learning loss because both are equally real. And how do you walk that perfect tightrope to try and make sure that you can get students in the classroom while simultaneously um, making sure that they stay safe? So hmm. um, I would add from a remote instruction perspective, one thing that oral reading fluency has been, um, particularly the digital ISIP oral reading fluency assessment has been able to offer our educators is a way to continue to progress monitor even in remote instruction. For some assessments, there's some data integrity questions. You know, was the parent helping? Was that really the student that was answering the question? And we, I mean, we've seen it in some of our own data, you know, some scores look suspiciously high and, you know, Teachers or, I mean, uh, parents in particular, it's like they don't realize they're doing a disservice. They want to help their child at all costs. But, you know, sometimes what they're really doing is masking a deficiency, which is just essentially delaying them from getting help. But what's great with oral reading fluency is that it, it provides a recording. So you're able to actually listen to that student read the passage. If there's any question about the data, you can verify that way. And I myself have even heard examples of, you know, that score seems suspiciously high and you listen to the recording and sure enough, there's a parent whispering prompts to their, their student, but it's caught on tape and you know that, that that's a piece of data that needs to be uh, redone. And so I think that's been a really valuable tool. Um, I have some dreams for oral reading fluency and this is getting beyond the kind of maybe the today today what we can do, but um, oral reading fluency is part of a class of measures called curriculum-based measures. And one of the original intentions of this was to measure program efficacy, not just an individual student, but how well is everything happening? How well is instruction going as a whole in a district or a school along those lines? So I would really love to go study historical oral reading fluency data to really figure out who the winners, what, what experimental educational models were the most effective over time, and what are the things that we should be replicating as we move forward. So that may be a little bit pie in the sky there, but I think there's many applications for this data, and I, I'm really excited to see what we can do with it. Peter, do you think that there's maybe an increased appetite or, um, or, or people are more willing these days to look outside the box and, and to try new things and to try new solutions because of what the last 16 months have looked like, saying, um, look, we, we can't just go back to the status quo. We need to look at new solutions and look at things like what, what iStation is providing. Do you feel like that's the case? Is that, is that something you've noticed in the marketplace, just an, an increased attitude to, to try new things? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the pandemic event is just so disruptive that I feel like it's only natural to be trying to look for new solutions. Everyone was forced to adapt. And I could probably, I imagine this might resonate with some people. I think every once in a while, there's a really great application where the Zoom meeting is even better than the in-person meeting. Maybe there's too many people to fit in a room and there can be a side conversation in a chat box and all of a sudden something is enabled with technology that wasn't there in the past. And I think the same thing is true for our instructional tools and assessments. I think that 
we've really got to be reevaluating the things that work the best because my hope is that we don't just try and immediately return to the status quo, but really try and take the lessons from this pandemic to come out with a better education system in general moving forward. I think there, there are a lot of innovative people out there who have found things that work. I think there's even some students for whom remote instruction might have been a perfect fit. But I think on, on the whole, the data is showing that um, the, the students do miss being in the classroom. And so we, we really want to try and make up that ground and try and figure out anything we can do to do that, including iStation. Um, I think it's, it's a good time to make sure that you're using every tool available to tackle learning loss. Fantastic stuff. Peter, as we begin to wrap up our conversation today, is there anything that uh, either we haven't touched on yet that, that you'd like to, uh, to leave our audience with or just any conclusion statements, a summary statement, things that you really want the audience to walk away with today? Peter, let me turn it over to you for any uh, final thoughts you have. Sure. Well, as I mentioned in the beginning, I am, I've spent a large part of my time at iStation developing this iSIP oral reading fluency product, but I also have my eye looking on the future. And one of the things that we're working we're developing a rapid automatized naming assessment using the same kind of recording technology. And our hope is in the future that it might be something that we can auto score and all of those things. But right now we're still in kind of the prototype phase. But rapid naming is another really important skill um, because it can provide valuable data. And what's nice about rapid naming is it doesn't require students to be reading. So it can actually be something where we can be assessing pre-readers to see if they might be at risk for something like dyslexia. And I think that what, what's exciting there, it goes back to that analogy of the ship crossing the ocean. You know, oftentimes that kind of insight is not something that we can glean until maybe third grade where we have enough data points to really see, oh, may, maybe we should really be evaluating the student. Hopefully with tools like rapid naming um, as a digital assessment, it makes it easier to uh, be able to give it on a widespread basis, but also to identify students earlier on. Again, a few degrees in the beginning makes a big difference at the end of your journey. So I feel like that's what really excites me. So we're still in the beginning phases of this, but um, I have a lot of belief in what we're putting together. And again, I, ha I have my son to thank for helping us with uh, some of our usability testing that we've been doing recently. So I think it's going to be a really great product when we're finished. And uh, it will be available in English and Spanish. And, uh, you know, we're, it's mainly used for the younger grades, but I think it has applications kind of throughout right there. So um, that was just one other thing I wanted to mention that we're working on. So... Oh, that is exciting stuff and just uh, just incredible work that you're doing there at iStation. So uh, Peter Jacobson, product manager at iStation. Peter, thank you so much for joining us here uh, on the broadcast today and sharing a little bit more about what you're doing in the, uh, in the world of oral reading fluency. We appreciate it very much. All right. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking with you. Absolutely. It's been fantastic having you on today, Peter. So thank you once again to my guest, Peter Jacobson, product manager at iStation, for sharing his insight and expertise with us today. And everyone out there, thank you for joining us for this episode of the program. We'll be back soon with more. But until then, make sure to go visit iStation's website to learn more about their solutions and everything that they provide. And stay tuned for more episodes of the podcast. We'll be out with those shortly. But until then, for my guest today, Peter Jacobson, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us.